if you have your, well, I'll go ahead. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we continue uh, this morning in our How We Ought to Give series. Um, and I just want to remind you also, if you haven't done it yet, at the back, on the back table are the prayer cards. Uh, on, on the one side of the prayer card has the, the five prayer requests that we're praying together as a church. And on the back, there's just some uh, recommended readings if you enjoy books, uh, studying and reading um, in your devotions, or, or you just enjoy that as a hobby, then these are some recommended books that we have chosen that kind of pair up a little bit with where the sermons are going. So uh, like the book for January and February is Saturate, and so it, 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 it kind of helps reinforce some of the things we talked about uh, in January and then here in February. And then uh, next month is, or the next two months, March and April, is Gospel-Centered Marriage, which I do believe we have in the bookstore. Um, but next, uh, next two months is Gospel-Centered Marriage uh, by Tim Chester, as we're going to be doing a, a, um, uh, a series on marriage in April of this year. So just kind of, we've kind of went through and strategically paired those, those books together. Uh, and then the last thing is there's also the business cards on that back table. Please uh, take um, and invite. Uh, as a church, we have to grow um, in our uh, gathering um, of people, and so we've tried to make those cards as a handy little way for you to keep with you um, and to invite. So, um, so Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, uh, we're continuing on in our "How We Ought to Give" uh, series, and so this morning um, we are going to be talking about how we ought to give generously. And I'm sure that by hearing the word generous, uh, generously, um, that there are already some preconceived notions of what generous is and whether or not you are generous. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take some time this morning. We're actually going to look at what is generosity, what is being generous, what does it mean to be generous. Um, and then we're going to look at, um, there's actually a promise that we're going to see uh, this morning that God ties to uh, our generosity. Um, and then we'll talk about some, a few practical ways um, of how we can give generously. Like, what does that actually look like? How does it actually, in my day-to-day, with the, the, the income that me and my family have, what does it look like to actually be generous? Or what are some steps to take to be generous? And, and so remember that in this series that we're not wanting to set up um, a, just like a number or a percentage and give people and say, here's what you should be doing. If you're not doing it, get there, right? Um, but what we're, what we're wanting to do is set up a framework by which we can understand the heart of giving or, or how it is that in light of who God is and what He has done and who that makes us. How it, 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 I read something this morning that um, by Jeff Vanderstelt. He tweeted out this morning that, that God doesn't give us um, a new name uh, when He saves us um, just because we have a new identity, although that's true, but it's also because we have a new mission. You see, in Christ, we have been changed. We have been fundamentally, foundationally changed at a heart level, at a level of where our life, who we are, what we're about, has been changed. And so we don't want to just say you need to give this much or this percentage, but we want to help us, uh, all of us to understand, especially as a church, the framework for which we can faithfully steward all of our money. Because faithfulness with money isn't about how much you put uh, in that box over there or how much you send away to orphans in Africa. You might, be able, you might give a lot to those issues, but are very unfaithful with 
the rest of your finances, and that's not faithfulness. God wants us to steward all of our finances and resources faithfully. And so here's the lie that we're going to be combating this morning. Are you ready? It's a tough one. The lie is that you deserve anything and everything that is out there. You cannot turn on your radio or your television without hearing an ad about what it is that you deserve. There's no basis that they give for the fact that you deserve this great vacation or this big new house or this nice car or this jewelry or whatever it is. There's no basis for that. I mean, if you really think about the audience of who hears that message, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't deserve that. But they want you to believe that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your income, you deserve it. So indulge. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. They're not trying to get you to indulge. There's a difference between deserving it and indulging, right? They almost make it to where it's, it's, it's a necessity. Like, you have earned this. You, you have a right to claim this. So for $99.99, come get it. And that's the marketing campaign of our society is, is, we tell, is, is they tell us. The world tells us that we deserve it. But for the Christian, since we worship God and not our money, we can give generously. We can give generously. And and, and here's the thing, not only can we give generously, but we don't have to believe the lie. The power of God to overcome sin lives and dwells inside of each believer. And with that power is the power to say no to the lie and to believe the truth. You see, we have, especially in our country and and, and lots of countries, um, but we have have really began to shift that line. If, If there's a line that divides what I need and what I want, we have really, really taken that line of necessity, the line that divides necessity and desire, and we have moved it drastically towards the desire side. And in doing so, what happens is we begin to say, I need this. It's a necessity. When in reality, it's not a necessity. You see, a necessity is something that sustains life. A necessity is food, appropriate clothing, a place to lay your head, Salvation is definitely a necessity. Forgiveness of sins. But all of the things that, that marketing campaigns want to tell us and, and, and big stores and, and fancy cars want to tell us that we need, we believe it. We believe it. Because what do we do? You know what? You're right. I work hard. I work hard. I do deserve this. It doesn't matter at what cost, I deserve this. We believe the lie. But God has a different way. God has a, not just a different way, but God has a better way for his people. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, this has been our text, this will be our text for the whole series. Let's read it again together. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to see the areas that our hearts and lives and minds and finances and dreams and desires have believed the lie. Uh, God, the lie that we deserve it. And um, I pray that we would not dwell on the belief of the lie, God, but that it would be revealed clearly to us and that we would turn from it, God, that we would embrace the good things that you have for your people, God, that we would be refreshed and and renewed, God, in your generosity towards us. Uh, Help me this morning, God, to play a part in your work. Amen. So in verse 2, it tells us that for in a severe test of affliction, there are abundance of joy, and that's what we looked at last week, is that we're to give joyfully, right? And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So in the midst of an affliction, what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth about the Macedonians, so it'd be like Paul writing to the church of Bakersfield about the church of Colorado or the church of Denver, right? He's like, these people in Denver, here's what they did. He's using them as an example. But he tells them that in the midst of affliction, that there was an abundance of joy, there was an abundance of poverty, But yet, affliction, joy, and poverty equaled a wealth of generosity. Think about that. Is that a formula you've ever heard anywhere else in your life? Is that a formula that makes sense to the natural mind or the natural man or the the longings of the fleshly heart? Let me tell you a little bit more about about this collection that was being taken of of why Paul was calling the Corinthian church um, and the Macedonian church and other churches as well to give. And and, and see, what what this is setting or what this is is telling us or, or what we need to know to understand this is that Paul spent almost 10 years of his ministry trying to take up a collection. All the churches, he asked all the churches to give to a collection for the Jerusalem church. It's commonly known as the Jerusalem Collection. See, Paul, very little, if at all, will you see Paul saying to, or taking up a collection for himself. But Paul constantly talks about this collection, the Jerusalem Collection. And the reason that he was calling for this Jerusalem quest, uh, uh, Collection, excuse me, was to help Jewish believers who were facing harder than usual economic times as a result of a deep and devastating famine. So that was the need. The need was there were brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, Jewish brothers and sisters in the Lord. And remember, the Corinthians and the Macedonians are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. 
right? So we've got that going, this whole Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant of how Christ came to call not only the, the, the Jews, but the whole world. For God so loved the whole world. That's what it's talking about there. That Christ didn't come just to save the Jews, but Christ came to save the whole world for whoever would believe from the whole world, Jew and Gentile. And so now Paul is calling on Gentile believers, right? And so what's a Gentile? A Gentile is somebody who is not of the bloodline of the Jewish people, okay? So it's everybody outside of the Jews. He's calling on them to give to help relieve the Jerusalem church. Now think about, like, to fully grasp this, and, and, and this is all setting up this idea of generosity, okay? This is why we've waited till today to talk about it. But think about the animosity between Jews and Gentiles. How, listen, for, for, for a lot of people in, in, in our country, for a lot of people in our city, for a lot of people probably in this room today, there are certain nationalities of people that if we called to, to take a special offering because there was a church among those people that was struggling, it would be hard for you to give. It would be hard. Maybe it's because you associate that group of people with certain living or certain things that you detest. Well, that's really what's happening here between the Jews and Gentiles when Paul's calling for this. Remember, the Jews despise the Gentiles. They, they look down upon them. It, like, if we could really, it was a lot like the mentality of early America between blacks and whites. It wasn't a recognizing of differences. It was a belief that we are better than you because of this. Really what they're saying is that our blood is better than your blood. And that was a lot of the animosity here. And so for the Gentiles to get this call from Paul, who was what? A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew. That's exactly right. He excelled in the Jewish religion and the Jewish political system. And so here is a Jew calling on all these Gentiles who used to be despised by Jews to give. And I'm sure these Corinthians had all of the same excuses that you and I had. Oh, well, I can't give. I've got this, or I want this, or I need this. And so Paul very gently, although listen... Listen, we've, we've talked a little bit about in this series about how Paul uses the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians. Make no mistake about it, Christ is the supreme example, right? And it is Christ who empowered the Macedonians to give. And we see that in verse 9, which we'll talk about next week. But if you look in verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. So it is the sacrifice and the gift of Christ that is the foundation for all of us to give. It is the motivation for all of us to give. But in that, Paul is saying to this Corinthian church, look, all these examples or all these reasons you can't give, the Macedonians have too. And he lists them. Severe affliction. Right? He doesn't say what that affliction is because affliction is affliction. But they were living in severe affliction and an extreme test of poverty. Paul's saying, listen, there's no excuse. 
But the Macedonians, through their extreme poverty, severe test of affliction, found joy in who Christ is and joy in giving for Christ's kingdom, and it produced a wealth of generosity. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give, I want to look at three aspects of generosity this morning. And first, I want us to define generosity. What is generosity? Because I think a lot of us, when we talk about generosity, and John and I had a, a conversation about this, of like, where does generosity separate from sacrifice? And where does sacrifice separate from generosity? And so hopefully between today and next week, we'll, we'll separate those out in a way that, so that we can understand. Because most often, when we hear generosity, we don't think, what, what, we, what we think of is large amounts of money. Right? Like for me and our family to give $10,000 to the relief of something would be, like, you'd all look at that and say, that's generous. But yet, we look at NFL teams who collectively, the entire team gave $10,000 to a relief effort, and we're like, that's, like, that's insulting. Right? Like, one quarter of one game, you make more than that, and collectively, that's one part, and collectively, you guys come up with ten grand. that's generous. But sadly, our world calls it what? Generosity. So giving and being generous isn't about a dollar amount. It's not. The word generous in verse 2, the original word actually better translates as sincere. It produced. They're finding joy in Christ through severe affliction and extreme poverty produced a wealth of sincerity in their giving. You see, again, generosity isn't about how much you give. It's about how you give. It's the heart. And the context of chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians here shows us. It gives us a portrait of generous giving. So for us, here's how we're going to define generosity. Giving generously is a readiness to give without Second thoughts. It's two-part. It's a readiness to give. It is a being generous, is an is a, is a attitude of the heart or an approach to life and money of the heart that says, I am ready to give without second thoughts. You see, some of us, and, and Katie and I have often had these, these discussions, not in a re-regret giving, but in a reality of, of, the, of giving and, and the things that we give up in order to give. But the reality is a lot of people, it's, 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 we might be ready to give, but we don't give without second thoughts. We don't write that check or send that bill pay or give electronically or put the cash in. And, 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 and a lot of people walk away or, or maybe an overall attitude of the heart is that if I didn't give, I could have this. Look at how much we give. Like this is a family conversation. Like look how much we give. If we didn't give, we could have this. We could enjoy this. We could have a bigger house. We could have two cars, Right? We could, we could have cable or U-verse. Right? But that's a, it's an attitude of the heart where you're not giving in sincerity without second thought. You're, it's, it's an attitude of the heart that gives reluctantly. 
and begrudgingly and under obligation. And God doesn't call us to give that that way. That's not how we should give, but we should give generously. A sincerity. A, 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 if, if, this, if we were to kind of work out this word picture, this word sincere in, in verse 2, it is the exact opposite of double-minded. It's a narrow-mindedness. It's a, it's a single-mindedness. It is, it is an intention and a motivation of the heart to give regardless. Now, it doesn't mean that at times... You don't look back and you say, you know what, we've really gone without a lot so that we could give this much to the church this year. There's a way to do that that is healthy and God-glorifying. That's okay. But what is sinful is when you relish more in what you didn't buy or purchase or enjoy than you relish in the giving. Does that make sense? It's good sometimes to look back when you get those giving statements. Those aren't just for tax purposes. Don't use it just for tax purposes. Look at it as a reflection of your heart towards giving. Are you giving the way you ought to give? Does that number reflect worshipful giving? Does it reflect joyful giving? Does it reflect generous giving? When you look at that number, is the first thing you see, man, I could have got a bass boat. Right? And in that moment... Your heart is much more inclined to enjoying a bass boat than it was to the sincerity and single-mindedness of giving. And of course, we see this most clearly in Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is our model for generosity. Now, let's, let's, let's use our definition of generosity when we look at this and we ex- examine that the, fact that, the, that the Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for many. So what it's saying is that, in, it, is that Christ was ready to give without second thought. Christ wasn't, wasn't double-minded in His giving of, his, of, a, of, of Himself as a ransom for many. Listen, if anybody could have relished... <laughs> Right, and not doing something or not being generous. It was Christ because why? He was God. He was sinless. He was perfect. And yet he willingly, in sincerity of heart, without second thoughts, gave his perfect, spotless blood so that defiled, impure blood could be ransomed. Like, it doesn't get any more generous than that. And that is why even our giving, and what we're in this, what we're trying to do is give a gospel-centered approach to giving, because if the gospel is at the center of everything we do, then there's no way that we can't give generously. Now, we might, listen, we might struggle to give generously. We might struggle to put money in the plate or in the box or send it in. We're not talking about the lack of struggle because that is going to be real until Christ comes back. But in faith, we give generously. In faith, we give sincerely. 
we're ready to give without regretting it or cherishing more what we didn't get with that money. But Christ came and ransomed himself. He was completely ready without a second thought. Do you realize it never entered? uh, That's not true. Do you realize that Christ never entertained the thought of not sacrificing himself for us? He probably had the thought because we know that he was tempted in every way as we were. So absolutely, Satan came to tempt Christ. He was human. He was flesh. So he was tempted to have second thoughts. He was tempted to not give himself. But the difference isn't that he had the thought. That's not the sin. That's the temptation. The sin is capturing those thoughts and taking them as your own and acting out on them. Christ never sinned. Take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. That's what Christ did when he was tempted to not give himself as ransom for many. He took it captive. He caused his thoughts to be submitted to the plan of God. And so he gave of himself generously. Now, the second aspect of generosity that I want to cover this morning is a bit unique to the four things that we've covered in this series, and that is the promise of generosity. There is a promise. If you look at chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verse 6, it's, Paul says this is the point, right? Like he's, he's, he's boiling down his entire argument on giving, and he says this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There is a promise to giving generously. And that promise is that you will reap generously. Now, we're going to have to spend a few minutes on this. First, let's talk a little bit about this picture that Paul paints of a farmer planting seeds or sowing seeds. Planting seeds is the same thing, okay? A farmer that throws out a lot of seeds, what is the natural byproduct of the seed? Does a farmer get, listen, we have to understand this. Does a farmer, when he sows his seeds, does he get more seeds back? Because this is how we oftentimes approach our giving. We think that if I give, then God has promised to give me more money. That's not what this is saying. What it says is that as a farmer sows the seed, he reaps a what? A harvest. So if you sow the seed sparingly, you what? You reap a what? A smaller harvest. If you sow the seed more, gener- or the seed more generously, you, you sow it um, generously, then you get what? You get a more bountiful harvest. So the promise that God is making in generosity isn't if you give generously, then you're going to get more money back. That's oftentimes what we think. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that, If you give generously, it means that your harvest or the fruit that you will reap from your giving will be greater. Don't think that you are entitled to giving, to to, to being given by God more money because you gave money. That's not generosity. And that's not the principle or the law of generosity. Commenting on this verse, Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine verse six, John MacArthur says that when a generous believer gives by faith and trust, and and that's what we defined as giving worshipfully in the first message of the series, with a desire to produce the greatest possible blessing, 
that person will receive that kind of a harvest of blessing. See, when you give, do you realize that, it's, that, it, that it, is a, it, is, it is creating a blessing? That money is not just a, 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 it's not just a gift where you give it and then walk away, but it produces a blessing. The money that we collectively give, we're able to send out 10% to fund church planners. Churches are being planted with the money that you and I give to this church. They're all their pictures and their stories are back there on the boards for you guys to pray for. Like, do you realize, and when you give, and this is part of the, the sincerity of giving, is knowing that what you're giving is going towards. Like, when we have our annual meeting, you guys should be asking questions of where is our money going towards. It shouldn't just be this blind trust. But you should know where it goes. You should know who we support and how much we gave them last year. Because that's our money. That's the church's money. R.C. Sproul, in commenting on this same verse, he says that, what, now catch this, what is given is never lost, it is sown. Do you view your giving as a loss? When you, when you give, do you count that as a loss of income? Do you view it as the government coming and grabbing their money first and then allowing me to, you know, like there's this picture of like, well, you're just so great government for only taking this much and allowing me to keep this much of my money. Is that your mentality in giving? It shouldn't be. But what is given is never lost. It is sown. It is planted And if you give generously, you will receive a generous harvest. Now listen, money is a powerful tool to love people and to show them that you love them. Practically. You want to be generous? Then set aside money to bless other people not just what you give to the church. I mean, you have to view your, your giving to the church as a blessing as well because we take that money and not only do we support church planners, but we set some of it aside um, in, a, in a benevolence fund so that when people in our church or people in the city come upon tough times, we're ready to give. You see, being generous isn't... Being generous is a lifestyle. It isn't, a, it isn't an organic spont, spont, uh, spont, spontaneity spontaneous thing. Thank you. Do you view your money as a powerful tool to bless others and know that by giving and by blessing them that you will reap a bountiful harvest? Or is money simply the ends for you to get what you want for yourself? So there is a promise that is attached to this giving generously that if we give generously, we will receive. Now, the last thing, third. How do we give generously, practically speaking? Like, how, 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 do, I, how, how do I give generously? And again, it's going to start with you understanding that we're not going for a dollar amount, but it's an attitude of the heart. And so the first thing, very simply, is that you must relish in God's generosity towards you. 
relish. That word relish, I looked it up this, this week for, uh, so that none of us thought that we were talking about the hot dog condiment. But the word relish means pleasurable appreciation of something. Do you have a pleasurable appreciation for God's generosity to you? Or do you expect everything that you've been given? Let's start with the forgiveness of sins. Do you relish in God's generosity in being your ransom for your sins? Do you cherish that? Is it valuable to you? Because when it is valuable to you and when you see God's ransoming of your sins as an act of generosity towards you, you will be moved to be generous. But if you see God's ransoming you of your sins as an act of something that he owed you or that you're entitled to, your heart will not move towards generosity. Let's take it a step further. How many people here are, pleasure, are, are lucky enough to, to choose what type of water they drink, tap water or bottled water? Do you realize that that's God's generosity towards you? That for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, He allowed us to be born and live in the United States of America where we can choose between what types of waters we are going to drink? Do you recognize that as God's generosity towards you? How about food? When was the last time you threw food away? Probably the last meal you had. Right? You know how many people would love to eat just the amount of food we throw away? But for some reason that we'll never know, in God's sovereignty... He was generous to us and allowed us to live in the United States of America. When was the last time that you had to wear the same shirt back to back because it's the only shirt that you had? And see, oftentimes our hearts, this is a lesson that our family is learning right now, is that food is designed to be fuel for the body for living and not just pleasurable enjoyment. It's not like an alternative of going to a a, a movie as a source of entertainment because that's what I want it to be. That's how I enjoy it the most. But we're learning that. But God has been so generous to us. Everything that we have, he has given. And oftentimes, the things that our hearts long after, we don't have because he doesn't see it best for us to have them. And we don't rest in that. We don't rest in what he has given us. There's a, there's a, I, one of the things that Andrew and I share is an affinity for music of people you've never heard of. Now, not the same types of music. We just like to find the off-the-beaten-path people that you don't listen to. And one of the guys that I really enjoy has a song, and the last words of his song goes like this. It says... The days where I keep my expectations lower than my gratitude are really good days. He's not a believer. In fact, he's very cynical about God. But he understands this principle that we should be grateful for what we've been given. 
Now, the second way that we practically give generously is we budget in giving. Generous, remember, means sincere or single-minded. It is not something that just comes up out of nowhere. It is something, listen, it, remember the lie that a lot of you agreed with, that, that, that a lot of us struggle to not to believe that I deserve it? Man, I struggle believing that lie because I think I deserve it. But generosity is in the face of that. So it means we have to work towards being generous. So we budget in being generous. That means we we should budget in how much we give to the church. And then in addition to that, we budget in how much we're going to give to others. Remember, it's sincerity. means it's, it, generosity is a readiness to give without second thought. To be ready to give means, it implies, I should say, that you have the means to give. We can't have the means to give if we're, to give if we're constantly in debt, trying to make it, if we're living outside of our means. In fact, next week I'll even challenge that idea. But we budget. To be generous, do you realize that when we go to parties as believers in Christ who have received the generosity of God Himself should give the best gifts? When we go to parties, we should bring the best food and the best wine. We should never show up to a dinner invitation or a party empty-handed. Never. Even if they've invited us into their home. It's a sign of generosity to bring a gift. But we budget it. We're intentional about it. We're intentional. We're sincere in how much we give. And when we give it, we don't second-guess ourselves or look back after we wrote the check or hit send online and say, man, there goes my... And the third thing that we can do practically is we can tip well. Tipping well is a very practical way that we can be generous. It's a very practical way that we can bless somebody. That's it. Bless them. Now, if you're like me and Mr. Pink, for those of you who have seen Reservoir Dogs, you struggle with giving or a tipping, and you think that your tipping should be based on how many times they come and refill your coffee cup. That was the issue, right? Like He's like, she didn't come back 20 times. I only tip if they, tip, if they fill my coffee cup 20 times. But we base, listen, golly, listen, we base our tipping based on the service, right? Because this is America, and you should work for what I give you. Yes until Christ saved each and every one of you. And you did nothing to work for or earn or deserve his generosity towards you. So if your fundamental basis for tipping is how well did you serve me, how well did you make me feel like a king, or we would call it the customer, <laughs> then that's sinful and it's wrong. And it does not reflect a heart that has been moved, it, let, me, let me say this, it does not reflect a heart that relishes in God's generosity towards you. 
Because God was generous to you when you didn't deserve it. God continues to be generous to you by keeping you in his secure hand of salvation, even though daily you struggle to believe. So tip as though you believe that. Budget your finances as though you believe that. Relish in God's generosity towards you. So in closing, because money is not our God, and God has given us what money cannot, we can give generously. Now listen, as we go through this struggle, it's obviously no doubt that talking about money is a struggle. But I want, I want to encourage that struggle. I don't want us to hide the struggle. I don't want us to say the struggle doesn't exist. And I don't want us to demonize the struggle because the struggle is real. And in fact, I would present to you that the struggle is a good thing because the struggle sheds light on where our worship is going. It's a good thing to know that you struggle, to acknowledge your struggle. It diagnoses the problem. But we don't want to just sit in the struggle. We want to move from that. And God has given us his spirit and his church to help us move on faithfully from the struggle and in the midst of the struggle. The struggle might never go away. I can't promise you that. I can promise you that. It will go away. I cannot promise you when it will go away. But if you struggle in it, then step number one is asking God's Spirit to help you give generously. Ask God's Spirit to help you relish in God's generosity towards you. And if you don't think God's been generous towards you, then you start by saying, God, show me how you have been generous to me. Open my eyes to see. Help me to see what I don't see. And he will do that. And have faith that in fact he will do that. And he's given you his church. In your men's groups, your women's groups, your missional communities, talk about your struggles. If you don't know how to bring it up, then just do what I do. Just be blunt and just make it as awkward as possible and just start it. Let's pray. God, I pray. These are the prayer requests that we're praying together as a church that your love for us would drive all that we do. And God, that means, and that, that, Lord, that, that translates to us relishing in your generosity towards us. God, you are generous in your love. And what, we mean, what I mean by that is, God, we, we recognize, God, that your love for us is sincere, it is single-minded, it is ready, and it doesn't have second thoughts. God, let that move our hearts. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to repent from the selfish ways we do give or the fact that we don't give. Help our hearts, God. Transform our hearts. Spirit, move and help us to be people who give generously and joyfully and worshipfully.